the story starts like most stories with Jesus do with, uh, with something spectacular. Thousands of people had gathered together and there wasn't enough food for them. So Jesus fed them. There was leftovers, lots of leftovers. And then Jesus got in the boat with his disciples to travel on to their next destination. And Jesus was warning his disciples about what he called the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes and the religious leaders of the time who weren't really following the Lord. His disciples didn't understand what he was saying, and they thought he was getting on to them for not bringing enough bread. And then Jesus, after warning them, now rebuked them, and he said to them specifically what was wrong with them. Verse 18, uh, verse 17 of Mark 8. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Don't you, do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Jesus says, have you been blind? You're worried about not having bread. I just fed thousands of people with just a handful of bread. That's it. That's all I needed. Are you blind to who I am and what I can do? Just after this, uh, they encountered a man. And this story, by the way, we, we've been doing our reading of late in the in the Gospel of Mark. And I don't know if you're going through the reading, noticing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and eventually John, that there's a lot of stories that overlap and others that are different. This story right here, if, I, if I'm correct, is uh, the only story that is exclusive to the Gospel of Mark. In other words, it's not in any of the other Gospels. And it's a strange and unique one. Read with me in verse 22 of Mark chapter 8. They came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, that is to Jesus, and begged him to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village, spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? The man looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking. So in other words, he could see something, but he couldn't really see actually all the way. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. I bet the man appreciated that Jesus didn't spit on him again after the first time. He placed his hands on the man's eyes. And the man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I don't know about you, but I think we're meant to find this to be a, a strange story. Besides the, the manner in which Jesus healed him with the spitting and the touching, and I don't know about all that stuff, but that's a little bit strange. But stranger still is that someone was in need. They had some kind of problem. And Jesus took action to address the problem, but it wasn't resolved completely. In Jesus' first attempt, if we'll say it that way, what's going on? Was Jesus having an off day? Was there something wrong with him or something wrong with the people? And I don't, I don't believe so. I believe this was very much on purpose. Whenever Jesus, uh, somebody said that, uh, talking about the ministry of Jesus, his, his teachings are miracles and his miracles are teachings. And that's a great way to think about it. No one would have ever thought of the things that Jesus ever said. They were a miracle from God, that God would send his word into the world. But his miracles were not just um haphazard good deed doing that Jesus was doing. Jesus had purpose behind not only the good deeds that he did, but the manner in which he did it as well. He touches the man the first time and he, he sees, but it's blurry. It's unclear. 
the man needed a second touch to be able to see clearly. Pause that in your head for just a second. After this, Jesus asks his disciples uh, an important question. He says, who do people say that I am? And they gave a bunch of answers of what people had to say. And then Jesus asked the more important question. He says, okay, who do you say that I am? Don't mess up on this one. And then Peter spoke up, maybe speaking for all the disciples, maybe just for himself. I'm not sure, but it would seem to me that uh, all of them would agree with this. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commended him. He said, that's right. That's right. And then Jesus, if you look in this chapter here, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, it says, Then Jesus began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things, to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. In other words, Jesus spoke exactly about the events that we're about to, that we are commemorating now as we take the bread and the cup. Now, this was, of course, quite different than what they would have thought the Messiah, their Savior, their King of Kings was going to do. You can't die. You can't be rejected. You got to be accepted. And if there is anybody that opposes you, we got to crush them, whatever it takes. Anybody got a sword, Peter would say later, that kind of stuff. That's why in verse 32, it says he, uh, he, that is Jesus, spoke openly about this. And Peter, since he was the Lord, after all, respectfully took him aside and began to rebuke him. The one he just said was his Messiah, his King, his Lord, his Savior. Peter said, no, 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 no. You can't be talking like this. You can't be talking about dying and being rejected. That's not how this thing's supposed to work. But turning around and looking at at his disciples, and I find that noteworthy. Jesus turns away from that conversation with Peter, and he looks at his followers, and he 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 rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. What was wrong with Peter? First of all, what was right with Peter? Jesus asked the question, Who do you say what I am? He got it. He got it right. The question of all questions in human history, who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth? Peter got it right. And then he started bossing Jesus around about how he was supposed to do his business. What did Peter need? What was wrong with Peter? He knew, or maybe I'll say it this way. He saw Jesus walking around like a tree, but he did not see everything clearly yet. Peter needed Uh, a second touch. Much like that man had to be spat upon to be healed, Peter had to be rebuked upon to be healed, to see everything clearly. Every first day of the week, we get together and we uh, worship our Lord and our Savior. We hear the word taught. We take this bread and this cup to remember his body, which was broken for us, and the blood that he shed, which is the blood of the new covenant that was given for us. And we do this remembering what he's done before until he comes. In other words, we anticipate his return. Why is this not a one-time deal that God gave us? Hey, uh, after you're baptized, take the Lord's Supper. You're in, you got it. You took the bread and the cup, it's over. God knows that just like that blind man, more importantly, just like Peter and the rest of the disciples, we need a second touch. And usually many, many umpteenth more touches by the Lord. To see. I don't know what it is you need to see today. 
some of us need to see that indeed in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're clean. There's no more guilt, no more shame. Some of us need to have a second touch because while we kind of know that, we kind of understand, we're still a little blind to that. Some of us need a second touch from Jesus in order to believe that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the Lord. We need to be reminded of what he did in his death and in his resurrection so that our faith will be more resolute than it was before because there's all kinds of people telling us not. We need the second touch of this moment of worship and reflection. Some of us, uh, we mentally assent to the fact that Jesus is Lord, but by our conduct and by our lifestyle, we demonstrate that we're the still the Lord. We're still the master. We're doing what we want to do. We need a second touch from the Lord to be moved into greater discipleship, to take up our cross and follow him. And you could go on and on. I don't know what it is that maybe you don't see it all or haven't been seeing it all or what things you've been seeing, but they're still kind of blurry and they're not clear to you. I hope these next few moments as we take the bread and as we take the cup and as you reflect upon who Jesus is, what he's done in giving his life for every one of us and all of us together, when you reflect upon the new covenant that he made in his blood and the hope we have of his return, that this second touch from the Lord would open our eyes to see him more clearly.